This podcast is brought to you by Blackbee Ministries International. To find out more, visit blackbee.org. Well, welcome back to the Richard Blackaby Leadership Podcast. My name is Sam, and I'm your host. And here to help take our leadership to the next level is Richard Blackaby. Well, I'm going to do what I can, Sam. Well, you know, not no, promising any miracles. Well, I, I appreciate that. <laughs> you know, just do what you can, and that, that's all we can ask. And uh, uh, this week we're doing something that um, we haven't done in a while, and it's the uh, Leader in the Bible series that we've started uh, a few months ago now. And we've looked at uh, the life of Moses. We've looked at uh, who else have we looked at? Well, Joshua, and Joshua, and, and Elijah. Elijah. I think, I think it's just been Maybe, those. Yeah, I think it's just been those three. I'll have to go back and look. But uh, soon you forget. <laughs> <laughs> There's just been so much great stuff we've been doing. It's hard to keep track of it all. But uh, today we're taking a look at the life of uh, Nehemiah. Yeah. So what you know. Perhaps a lesser-known uh, uh, leader in the Bible, and uh, you know he he probably doesn't get the screen time that a Moses or Elijah necessarily gets. But uh, why don't you walk us through what leadership, um, what his leadership looks like, and then what uh, you know what takeaways we can apply in our own life? Yeah, Sam, I think you're right. It, Nehemiah doesn't get necessarily the same. Uh, uh, praise and partly, I guess, because he's kind of known for building a wall. And so it's like, okay, well, walls are good, but you're not going to necessarily, not the same as getting the Ten Commandments from Mount Sinai or something, yeah. or didn't uh, lead the calling fire down from heaven. So didn't lead you're in the a second tier ca- captivity or anything. Uh, but, but he's a classic example to me of leadership and why we need leaders. And Leadership, of course, happens at every level. You need leadership at the national, international level, but you need leaders who can just go into a church, uh, serve on a committee, and and help the church move to where it needs to be, or to go into a, a company and in your department, you just you make it better uh, at every level, and that's what Nehemiah does. He, in his day, God calls him to use his the influence God's given him to make the lives of his people better. And that's what God's always done in yeah. every generation. And so I, there's a lot you can take from him. Um, of course, he's known as one of the, the shortest people in the Bible because he's Nehemiah, Maya, but uh, <laughs> otherwise a claim to fame. Uh, several things about him. One is that he's a layman. He's not a He's not a trained pastor. Uh, he 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 does sort of give some exhortations. I guess you could maybe call them lay preaching sometimes when he has to get after the people. But for the most part, he's a cupbearer. He's a trusted person, and he's also uh, he's a Jewish man living in Persia uh, in a foreign land. And of course, he keeps company with people like Daniel and Shadrach and Meshach, Abednego, Esther. Uh, people like that 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 have been taken away in exile or living not in their homeland. They're surrounded by pagan beliefs, pagan rituals and cultures by a powerful government that is in, that has basically destroyed uh, the, the Jewish nation and the temple and so on. And, um, and so I think there's a lot of things for us to take from him. One is most people listening to this podcast are not necessarily pastors. There's a lot of pastors who listen, um, but but every person can ask themselves, what area of influence has God given me? Maybe I've just yeah. got a family of, with two, three kids in it, 
and a spouse, and I feel like our family should be doing better. Can I? Can God use me to help our family dynamics be better? Um, and and we're in, more increasingly we're in a foreign land as well. I see a lot of Christians who feel like even in America, North America, and Canada, the United States, uh, what used to be somewhat of a Christian culture is uh, not so anymore. Yeah. And there's a lot of fear there, a lot of fear that, uh, well, what will, will we do as a church if the government passes laws against us or makes it harder to be Christians? And people like Nehemiah show us that you can, it's not always easy, but you can prosper even in a culture that is hostile to a lot of your values. And so yeah. people like Daniel and people like Nehemiah end up in, in Esther in very influential positions, even though it's not their culture, even though they're outsiders. But in fact, in many ways, the church has prospered when they were the outsider instead of the insider. And so uh, so he's very much in the minority He's got some polit- politically incorrect views, if you will. He he's very careful about what he says because it could get him killed. But uh, um, and he's really the besides. I mean, when you think of Daniel, Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, he's not going to get thrown to lions or in a fiery furnace. But it, but he's he's living and operating in the same culture, the same environment. Yeah. So uh, what happens to him though is he's he's not he's living in a foreign land in a culture that's often hostile to his own beliefs, but he's prospered. He's he's worked well. He's proven to be reliable. He's got integrity. Of course, a king's not going to make you his cupbearer unless he trusts you. And so he's proven he's trustworthy. Um, and you would think that in a in any setting where someone wants a trustworthy employee, you would think that Christians ought to be thriving. The Christians yeah. ought to be known for honesty, reliability, hard work. And so even in a secular environment, the Christians ought to be people of influence, at least in their immediate circle. And so there he is uh, going about in Persia uh, doing his job. Uh, and he's got, considering he's a, a perhaps a refugee, uh, an immigrant, uh, uh, a foreigner, he's made it right up next to the most powerful man on the planet. And, uh, and then he learns one day that Jerusalem, his home city, uh, is in ruins. And the, of course the Babylonians had come in and destroyed all the walls, destroyed the temple. And, uh, this is roughly 140 years after the walls have been torn down. So, the, the Jewish people have returned, the, the they've, exiles have begun returning back. It's, uh, it's, it's legal to go back to Jerusalem now. But when the people get back there, everything's in ruin. You can imagine these massive walls around the city. They've all been torn down. Mm-hmm. They've burned the wooden parts of the, of the, uh, the gates and the, the stones to utterly destroy them. And the temple had been all torn down as well. And so people move back there, but it's like living in a ghetto. It's like living in uh, the roughest part of town. And in fact, uh, there are places in the Bible that says wild animals would roam the Temple Mount because it was so desolate. And and it, it, and I think most of our listeners have been in those moments where you see a, a job ahead of you that is so daunting that you just don't even know where to begin. Yeah, it's just like so huge. And it just sits there and you keep thinking, well, when I've got more time or when I've got more money or when there's people to help me, 
or it's it's like just you just need a whole day just to just to ponder the problem before yeah. you you can't even there's no clear starting place and and so basically people have waited 140 years to find that starting point and it went so i mean we can't even th- that number kind of rolls off the end of our tongue but like 140 years of a, a community a city sitting on the very on on ruin you know it's it's not like just anything that they're used to there there there's rubble there's garbage there's yeah. uh, just and so every day for 140 years i mean kids are growing up as little children playing hide and seek around all this the massive stones that used to sit in the wall to protect the city and now they're old men and those same stones are sitting in the same place never been repaired and of course that's demoralizing and yeah. and you know to be honest with you there's there's a lot of uh, situations in America that are like that. There are ghettos in America that people have grown up in as youth, and they'll die there as old people, and no one has ever fixed the problem. And there are problems in cities. There's crime rates. There's poverty. There's all kinds of stuff um, that, in particularly in certain cities and places, regions, neighborhoods, uh, it's never been fixed. There are churches that have had chronic issues, maybe firing pastor after pastor, de- a chronic decline, never growing, uh, just a small little struggling congregation, and no one's been able to find the solution for it. And uh, and so I think what I, I and so what happens, the, one of the worst things that happens is over time you just get used to it. You just get used to it. And I think sometimes that's what chronic poverty is like, where generational poverty, where no one in eight, ten generations in your family has ever gone to college or graduated from high school or ever been gainfully employed or ever yeah. owned their own home. And so at a certain point, you just you just assume that's how it is. That's just well, how I think it humans be. are very uh, adaptive, and so I think we can we can get used to a certain you know, living conditions quite easily and, and just like, oh, well, you know, even smaller things like, you know, I, I remember uh, when I was younger, I had a real beater of a car <laughs> and you just, oh, well, you, you know, th- th- this piece of it doesn't work. And so you just, you know, you you have a fix for it. And, and, and so you just, you drive it that way for years and you could fix it. there There is perhaps a way to change it, but you just... Well, you've kind of got to work around, and and so you don't do anything about it. And so I think, I think as humans, we can very quickly just kind of, well, you know, this is how it is. And yeah, and I think that's to me that is the key to leadership. That's when people say, well, are do leaders think they're better than other people, or are leaders aren't any more important than followers and that kind of thing? Well, they're not more important as individuals and as human beings. But they, they certainly have a role to play. Yeah. And God God has wired humanity and society to function with leaders. And whenever there's a problem, the, if you look in the Bible or you look in church history, at, it's, at a certain point, God raises up someone that he's going to work through, whether it's a Moses or Gideon or whoever. And in this case, it's a Nehemiah. And so the, the, the follower, there have been followers in Jerusalem now for 140 years. And not one follower has ever figured out how to just fix that wall. Uh, now it's going to take less than th- uh, less than two months to to get it fixed once an, a leader shows up. But for 140 years, a whole group of followers can't get one stone put on another. 
a leader shows up and two months later the wall is repaired. Uh, that's the difference a leader makes. I'd yeah. never, and, and that's why I believe in leadership. And, and that's why when uh, you see maybe, uh, and you see this politically at times where there may be someone from the same political party in a city uh, as a mayor for 30 years and th th there's the same crime rate, same poverty, same unemployment, same de de you know, decay in the, in the city but they want to tell you, if you just elect me for 31st year, then it'll change. And what you realize, and, and putting aside politics and corruption and ineptitude and everything else, what that tells you is they're not leading. They're not leading. Leaders solve problems. And for 140 years, the Jewish people have not had a leader show up that could just rally the people. And what you discover with Nehemiah is that when he does eventually get there, People respond very quickly, and before you know it, he's got the city is aroused, and it says they have a mind to work. Uh, they want to. They, they don't want to live in ruin, yeah. But, but they were waiting for someone to lead them, and I, I see churches this way. I see businesses this way. So that's really the story of Nehemiah. He hears that that it's in ruins. Now he lives in a comfortable job. He he can play it safe. Just worry about his own retirement and. He's, he works every day with the most powerful man in the world. Why would you leave that yeah. to go try to fix something that's been broken for 140 years? Like they're just, it, it's just a rest. He's, he's going to be criticized. He's going to be opposed. He's going to be undermined. He's going to be lied about. Why put up with that when you can just work in the palace every day? Uh, and you may, even our listeners today may have this sense of, I know there's something in my world that needs fixing, but why me? I mean, I just, do I have it in me? Yeah. You know, my church is, I, and I see a lot of business people like this. They, they have a great job. They make great money. They're, they win accolades in their industry, but their church is grossly underperforming. Their church can't seem to solve some of its basic problems. And these business guys are like, but there's no real reward for that. Even if you fix the problem, there'll be people in the church yeah. complaining for years that it's not, they wish it was the way it used to be. So why waste your time? You, you have a success at work and you get a, a great year-end bonus. You, you fix something at church and now you're the bad guy. So let's that, just let it ride. And so Nehemiah, to his credit decides to travel back to Jerusalem. And it's a great risk to him. Even, in fact, a lot of things that we kind of take for granted now, chapter two of Nehemiah, it says that he was sad in the king's presence. He's brokenhearted about the condition of his people, of his land. And of course, for you to be sad in the king's presence could be worthy of a death sentence. You, yeah. if that was insulting to the king. You, you ought to be filled with joy that you can serve the king every day. Um, but he is so moved by the the uh, plight of his people that he lets it literally put his life on the line and, and put it at risk. And I think, again, for our listeners, when you look at America, when you look at Canada, when you look at your country, wherever that might be, um, are you concerned or are you, are you blowing it off? Are you just worrying about your career or your own personal world? Um, we need a whole lot more Nehemiahs because there are, there, there are ruins all over the place and broken down walls, discouraged people that need leadership. And if God, God has wired you to lead, um, you, you, it's a, it's a travesty for you not to put your leadership into the game and let God use you to make a difference. And so he, lots of things that he does that we could look at, uh, when he gets there, 
chapter two, uh, verse 11, it says about after about three days, I, I think he's probably just recovering from the long trip at seven, 800 miles. Um, he got up at night, took a few men and surveyed, went around the whole city. He does it at night. He's not, and he, he, Nehemiah does a number of things very wisely as a leader. One is he doesn't tip his hand. He doesn't come in with great fanfare. Oh, I'm going to, here's your saviors come. I'll fix everything. Of course, he'd be inundated with people with their ideas and their agendas. First, he gets his firsthand information. He also doesn't wait and let everyone come and just tell him what the problem is. He, he gets a, a bird's eye view himself. He yeah. goes on the ground, boots on the ground, goes around the city, looks at everything until he can see what it is. And he, he's trying to figure out what will it take? How, how will we organize people? And uh, and then when he finally when he's when he's looked at it he knows what's going on uh, in verse seventeen he gathers the leaders together he says you see the trouble we are in Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates have been burned come let's rebuild Jerusalem's wall so that we will no longer be a disgrace uh, and look at and I told them he says how the gracious hand of my God had been on me and what the king had done to me they they said let's start rebuilding. And their hands were strengthened to do this good work. Uh, and uh, it, it'll go on to say the people had a heart to work. Uh, and I, and I, I love that uh, imagery. Well, right away, uh, and we'll, we can unpack this uh, a little more after the break, but uh, what, he does a number of things, um, I think, very strategically. One is, uh, and you'll notice this throughout chapter uh, three and, and following, it kind of lists, and, and for those of you that just kind of get bored reading the Old Testament, um, sometimes, you know, when you read about, well, this guy built the sheep, you know, the wall next to the sheep gate and this one next to, to the dung gate. <laughs> and it's, you know, yeah, I'm seeing a lot of, a lot of names. Yeah. And it's like, okay, and why? so-and-so, you know, why would this, and sometimes it says he, this man with his daughters or his sons or whatever, um, and it's like, wh- why are we uh, here? Just my luck. Uh, today's devotional reading is on, you know, who built the wall in ne- Nehemiah, yeah. and that that's partly what causes you to uh, skip over that part and get to more exciting stuff, like where's a battle or something. Um, but a couple of things interesting about that. One is that it names the people that worked, that pitched in. Now Nehemiah is, I think, a masterful leader. And one thing he does is he's giving credit to people. He's recognizing people. He's putting their names down in the book. Yeah. Uh, and in, especially in church work, sometimes we think, oh, well, people should just have the motivation to, they shouldn't want credit. They shouldn't need recognition. They should be doing it for God. But um, for whatever reason, the Bible names these people. And it even tells you what part of the, the, the wall that they worked on. And what's interesting is several times in that passage, it will say something like, uh, each worked opposite his own house. Now, that's interesting. Uh, what what Nehemiah does, and I'm, I don't know how, he must have had people obviously helping him and forming him, but but if someone was going to work on the wall, they it seems that they kind of found, well, you know, where do you live? What part, what neighborhood is your neighborhood? Oh, this right here? Well, then you work on the wall right here. Uh, now, of course, that's brilliant it, it, because... Yeah. You're not going to cut corners on the part of wall protecting your house. If an enemy is going to climb over that wall and burn your house to the ground, you know that you're going to build it well. Uh, you're not going to take any shortcuts, yeah. uh, slack off, use inferior products. So he, so he puts everybody on the part of the wall that 
it's to their best interest to be done well. Mm-hmm. Now the guy, like Nehemiah just shows a number of things that uh, demonstrate this guy knows people. He knows what motivates them, which is what, a, what good leadership is. There's nothing wrong with that. Good leaders tap into people's internal motivation. And of course, people want to protect their own property, their own families. They want to be able to sleep at night in their own beds and know that the wall protecting them is, is secure. And, and there's nothing wrong with that. And Nehemiah plays right into it. And, and so he, he brings the best out of people and they work hard uh, and, and, uh, and he gets the results in record time. Uh, and, and so this book, and we can stop for a break, Sam, but there's, this book is just loaded with great leadership lessons. I think if you just wanted to really study good leadership, just, just watch how Nehemiah shows up in a desolate, demoralized place that's been sitting in ruins for 140 years, and then watch him turn it around in two months until people have pride and people are functioning right and in security once again. I think every politician running for office right now ought to read Nehemiah and yeah. be told, uh, you go back to your constituency or your state or province, and uh, you look around and see where the ruin is, where the dysfunction is, the brokenness, and fix it. Fix it and rally the people. Uh, Nehemiah doesn't come in with a whole army of carpenters. He, he comes back and he mobilizes the people and raises them up and says, "You for 140 years, you've been, you could have fixed this. You just needed to be led. And now finally you've got someone mm. that will lead you, and uh, the results are astounding. Well, let's take a quick break here. Richard and Daniel Blackaby will be at the Billy Graham Training Center at The Cove on May 17th through 19th, 2021. The title of this event is On the Move, How God Increases Your Spiritual Influence. It was originally scheduled to be held this year, but due to COVID-19, has been rescheduled. You can find out more and register at thecove.org. Links will also be in the show notes. So Richard, I, I love uh, Nehemiah and just uh, the sort of case study almost in in leadership, as you mentioned before the break. And um, there's a lot for him to do. There's a lot yeah. of obstacles, both physically and uh, you know personally, for him to overcome. And uh, he he's not. It's not all going to be roses. And I we've talked about this before, but. Mm-hmm. Oftentimes you, you get the idea that, hey, once people realize the need for leadership and I'm that leader and, you know, we put a vision before the people and, and uh, well, they can't, you know, help but to get on board and, and do the right thing and fall in line. Um, but that's not always the case and, and is not the case with Nehemiah either. Yeah, he's, uh, it's interesting. As soon as things start moving, people start mobilizing and preparing to work, the critics arrive. And that should be no surprise to any leader. Yeah. Uh, in chapter 2, um, verse 19, there's a Sanballat, the Horonite, Tobiah, the Ammonite, and Geshem, the Arab. And these three, these guys, along with some of their cohorts, uh, are immediately critical. And they mock the, uh, the work, and they laugh at it. And at first they're saying, a fox could jump over this wall. There's, It's so small, and it's so pitiful. <laughs> you just lean against it, it's going to topple over. And um, and, uh, and of course the people are listening to this and, uh, and, and Nehemiah just sticks to the job. He, he just keeps working. And, and so that infuriates the critics. Uh, and I'll tell you something as a leader, you'll, you'll, you'll learn this. 
Um, there are always going to be critics, and they always are going to talk a lot bigger than they can come through. And so, yeah. Uh, and so, if they can just intimidate you with their words, they've won an easy, cheap victory. Uh, it, I always felt like I, I, I might not be able to overcome all my opponents, but they're not going to get me just with words. You know, I, they're going to have to have you're going to have to have a little heavier artillery than your words. Yeah. Uh, because just criticizing me, I'm just going to stop listening. I'm I'm going to just stick to the word. And so that makes these guys really mad. And so they get together, and as as you read through Nehemiah, uh, they start sending out word: "We're going to attack. We're mobilizing our forces." And of course, this this frightens uh, a lot of the people. And so Nehemiah responds, and uh, and famously, he's going to have half the people now with their weapons in their hands and half with their tools working in their hands. So they've had to cut their labor force down because they've got to have people on guard all the time. But he's but people come to, I, and I just love this about Nehemiah. People come to him all in a tither. Well, they're going to attack us. They said they're going to they're going to invade us. And what what should we do? And Nehemiah says, keep working. Uh, well, we will have you, we'll protect you, but keep working. Well, what if they attack? Well, if they do, we'll fight, we'll fight them, but they haven't attacked yet. So keep working. Of course, they never do attack. Uh, and there are times when enemies will truly attack. That does happen. But I want to tell you so much of critics, especially in companies and churches, it's talk. Yeah. And they just want to talk big and tough and hope that it scares you away. And, and it drives these guys crazy because they keep, they keep threatening and Nehemiah just keeps working. And so, so then they, then they try different kinds of manipulation. Uh, they, they, they write this long letter that they say they're going to send back to his bosses and they're lying about him. They're saying that word is, is out that Nehemiah just wants to become the king. And when he builds this wall, he's going to become the king of Jerusalem. And, and Nehemiah just confronts it, says that's all just a bunch of garbage. And, uh, Go ahead, send it. I'll, you know, I'll send my letter and I'll expose you. And so it just, he can't, he just, it drives these guys crazy because they're used to it for 140 years. They've been intimidating these people with their talk. And all of a sudden here's yeah. a guy that just won't be intimidated. He knows what God wants him to do. And so he just keeps, he just keeps his head down. And I love, um, of course, one of the, one of my favorite uh, uh, places is in chapter six. They, so then they try uh, to use uh, stealth and deceit, and they say, well, okay, we just need to talk about this. And I, I love this about Nehemiah. It's like, well, why do we need to talk about this? I don't need to talk to you. I'm I'm getting the wall built. That's what I'm here to do. I, why would I talk to you? All you've done is criticize the whole time. You're you're not in the game. You're not a part of the process. Oh, it would just be better if we met and we talked about then you you need to hear what we have to say. Well, of course, it's all a setup. They're all trying. They want to kill him. And they want to get him away from the city, away from his people to go meet somewhere. And then they're going to ambush him and kill him. That's their last hope is we just got to take this guy out. He's not, he's not intimidated. He's not, uh, he's not dissuaded. He's not uh, thrown off uh, his focus. So they're going to do that. And I love, I'll tell you what, this is just a great verse uh, for any leader who is being criticized and uh, intimidated and, and people are trying to get get to him, get under his skin. At verse 3, chapter 6, he says, I'm doing important work and cannot come down. Why should the work cease while I leave it to go down to you? <laughs> That's just a great, <laughs> a great leadership verse. Why should I leave my work to go down to you? Yeah, uh, and, and that's exactly what, lead, what uh, critics try to do. They try to lower you uh, to their level. 
to get down into the muck and the mire and the criticism and the pettiness and I want my way, I don't want you to get your way. But Nehemiah said, we're actually doing something productive here. We're, and my dad, uh, in his heyday as a, as a church planting pastor, often was criticized by, and they would, pastors who had never started one mission church would be criticizing my dad how he was starting his, sec, his 24th church. <laughs> it's like, okay, and my dad would just, he would kind of have this little smile and he would say, I like what I'm doing a lot more than what you're not doing. He would say, I, I know that what we're doing is not perfect, but it's better than doing nothing, which is what you're doing. Uh, so why would someone who's doing nothing take it upon themselves to instruct me who's doing something, m- maybe not perfectly, but we're getting it done? Yeah. And that's kind of what Nehemiah is saying. He's saying, I know this wall is not going to win any prizes in the you know, top 10 most Im- formidable walls built anywhere in the ancient world, but it's getting it done. And it will serve a purpose, at least for now. And uh, so why would I stop that to go talk to you, to, to answer my critics? And I'll tell you what, we've talked about this before, but uh, you, you have to be so careful that you don't let your critics hijack the good work God wants to do through you. And, uh, and, and they will hijack your work if they start to set the agenda. If every day you wake up and instead of thinking about the job you have to do, you're thinking about your critics and, well, what will they think of this? And if we step up and we attempt that, what are they going to say? I'll never hear the end of it if we announce we're, do- we're changing this. They'll, they'll just give me grief. And you've just been hijacked. Now, now the entire agenda for your leadership is trying to not offend your critics. And that's what these yeah. critics desperately wanted to get into Nehemiah's head, where he, he ran everything past them first and, and won their approval. And it drove them crazy when he said, I could care less what you think. You're not even a part of this, this people. You don't belong here. This isn't your city. Why would people living in another city who are not Jewish people uh, tell me how to help the Jewish people restore their city? Uh, that would be craziness. And so he just ignores them. And uh, some great, uh, great lessons there. Um, and then uh, and then just several things that you just notice finally is that um, you think that it, his work is done. And, and, and this is part of, I think, why this is a much more important book than people give it credit for. A lot of people think it's just about building a wall, but it's far, far more than that. Uh, the reason the wall wasn't built is because the people were so uh, divided and and uh, discouraged and demoralized. What he does is he he helps the people become a great people once again. Yeah. And the the latter part of this book, Nehemiah, the wall gets built about halfway through the book, and but then he's got he he leads them in a worship time. As uh, Ezra is there helping in the worship and so on. But uh, but then he notices that the people are still behaving in a broken way. So they're the the wealthy uh, citizens are charging exorbitant interest to their own citizens, their their fellow Jews. Uh, he sees that they're marrying people that are not in the faith. Uh, they're watering down their beliefs, and they're they're not following uh, the law uh, from the Old Testament. And so the latter part is the walls built, but it's like but I but. It's far easier to build a wall than it is to build a people, mm. and it takes a lot longer to build a culture. And so, really, what he does in the latter half is he's trying to restore a culture to where where people start to support one another, to have unity, to quit compromising, 
And what he finds is that there, there are leaders who have sold out. Uh, there are leaders that are in on the take. Uh, and so here the people are trusting. The, the And you realize, okay, that's why nothing's been done. The leaders are on the take. They're, they're being bribed. They're, they're being persuaded or whatever. And uh, it, it, it takes an incorruptible person of integrity that walks in to finally start exposing darkness. And I'll tell you what, that's, that's harder. That gives Nehemiah more grief than building a wall, yeah. is confronting leaders that should not be in leadership, uh, that have betrayed the people, uh, that are, are leading them astray. And uh, it takes him longer to build the people than it takes him to build a wall. And that's what building a culture is. And, but, but maybe the last thing just to say about that is Nehemiah, he's funny. You get to the last uh, chapter, and he's still right to the end. He's confronting people that are not doing things right, that are, are compromising. Uh, and he'll confront them in the, in the public square. He'll yeah. call them out. Uh, he'll threaten them. But uh, he'll just say, look, uh, there's too much at stake for the people for you to, to allow this stuff to go on. And I'll tell you what, that, that is courageous leadership when you say, you know what, there's stuff going on in my church or in my company that just continues to trip it up, to rob it of what it could be. And no one has ever had the courage to call out the elephant in the room before. And Nehemiah, yeah. Nehemiah, if there's one thing you could, you know, you could kind of quote him. It's like, look, there's an elephant. <laughs> Nehemiah calls it out. He says, yeah. hey, why are we putting up with that? Like, God has spoken about that in his word. Why are you tolerating that? And he gets, and, and so he's kind of gnat in a sense that uh, if you're going to mess up, you don't want to see Nehemiah coming by because He's he's not a prideful guy, but he's he's relentless on behalf of his people. And if it helps his people, he's going to call you out. And uh, and last thing, just say about Nehemiah that it, when you read through the book, he's constantly praying. Here he is, this great leader. He's a great administrator, but he I, there's hardly a chapter goes by that's focusing on Nehemiah. Where at some point he doesn't just spontaneously pray, and it's not. Not normally these long prayers that you find in like maybe Moses praying or Jesus praying. A lot of times it's like a sentence prayer. Just, Lord, remember me. Uh, he, he's, bu- he's working. And I, I love that about Nehemiah. Yeah. Like he's on the go. He's a busy administrator. He's got people coming and wanting his attention all the time. But he's just in the course of his day, he's just breathing up prayers. God, help me. I've got this meeting. God, give me strength. This, these people are driving me crazy. Yeah. But he, he, he just prays on the go. And and uh, just in a sense, praying without ceasing. And, uh, and so you see this beautiful picture of a guy who's very much a, a leader, hands-on, roll-up, your, your shirt-sleeves leader, but he's also a man of faith, a man who believes that with God all things are possible. And so he, he keeps praying daily. And, and so he builds a wall, but more than that, he builds a people, he builds a culture. And so it's a great, great leadership book. I think every leader ought to read at least once a year, just read through Nehemiah, See how he handles critics and opponents, how he, he leads a very dysfunctional, broken people that are not easy to lead, are not used to being led. Uh, lots of great lessons. I don't know how any pastor could not, or, or just business leader, cannot get just a gold mine of, of leadership nuggets from this book. Well, this has just been a, another fantastic installment of uh, Leaders in the Bible, and uh, again, a great case study in leadership and an encouragement to anyone leading uh, a dysfunctional people uh, with the, the task ahead that it can be done. And so thank you once again. 
Thanks for listening to the podcast. If this is something you enjoyed, it really makes a difference if you leave a review and a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Don't forget to subscribe and share with your friends. We always love hearing from our listeners. So email us at podcast at blackv.org.